0: We have been looking at the start of the church. The acts of Jesus Christ through the apostles. And we saw that uh, the last couple weeks, we've seen how Jesus has prepared them. And he said, go and wait. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, I will send power through the Holy Spirit for you to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he ascended up into heaven. And for 10 days, they have been waiting in the upper room. 120 of them are gathered together. The apostles, the women that followed him, the family of Jesus, that after the resurrection realized he truly is the son of God. They've all been waiting there. And you know, sometimes some people get, well, what were they doing? Well, they had a business meeting. They elected a new new apostle. So you know, when we're waiting, we don't always just have to sit on our hands. We can be doing God's work. And they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Waiting for what Jesus promised. He says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. I have to go away. And if I go away, I will send him. So let's, let's go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start by reading the first three verses. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a rushing a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it appeared to them, appeared to them, tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. We're going to stop there. The day of Pentecost, the Jewish celebration of Sukkoth. Fifty days after the Passover. You see, the Jews had all come for the Passover. And what happened on the Passover? Jesus was crucified. As Passover was coming, they took Jesus and they nailed him to a tree. Now, now Jesus said, I came to fulfill all the law. He came, I came to fulfill everything that was passed. And why did they celebrate the Passover? Well, you remember this story. Moses had come to set the people free. He had gone to Pharaoh over and over and over again. And every time when when a different plague would come, the plague of frogs, the plague of blood, the plague of flies, gnats, the locusts came. And every time it says that, that Pharaoh would change his heart, and one day God said, It's enough. Tonight, the death angel is going to come, and it's going to come over all of Egypt, and the firstborn of every man and every beast is going to be taken. The death angel will kill the firstborn. But God looked at the Israelites and He said, I want you to do this. I want you to take the lamb. I want you to take a lamb and I want you to sacrifice it. And then I want you to catch the blood and I want you to take the hyssop bow and I want you to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's an old hymn. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And you see, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. When he died on the cross, the blood paid the price for each one of us. And the death angel now passes over all of us. When we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And the very next day, the very next day after the Passover is the Feast of First Fruits. It's the very beginning of the wheat harvest. And to symbolize that, the Jewish people are told to bring a loaf of unleavened bread. Because remember what Jesus told them, or what God told them when they were leaving Israel or leaving Egypt. He said, He said, I want, don't put any leaven in the bread. You're going to eat unleavened bread. And so they celebrate the the day after they celebrate the feast of first fruits. Now, Jesus rose on what day? The first day of the week, the day after. Passover. First Corinthians five twenty tells us this. Come on. Can we unplug this And Oh maybe it helps if I turned it. No, it's on. Okay. First Corinthians five twenty tells us this. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now isn't it interesting that God told them don't put any leaven in that bread. What does leaven represent in the Bible? Sin. Jesus was the sinless one. And so when he rose from the dead, he satisfied the feast of the first fruits. Now, their their next... One is the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Succoth, fifty days after Passover, you come <coughs> to the Feast of Succoth, which was the Feast of the first fruit of wheat. So this is they have been harvesting wheat, and here they are fifty days later, and they come and and when they provide the the sacrifice the symbol for this it is two loaves of leavened bread two loaves of leavened bread now you go well wait a second sin absolutely because the feast of the of pentecost was the beginning of what the church, the church was born. Now, is the church sinless? Absolutely not. And I want you to see the picture that is fulfilled here. We, we as a, they, they don't bring just kernels of wheat. They bring loaves of bread. Now, if you're going to make a loaf of bread, what do you have to do with the wheat? You have to grind it up, right? Right? And then you have to sift it all together. Is that the church? See, we're not individuals any longer. We're the body of Christ. We belong to one another. And to make that loaf, we have to to be mixed together. And he says, for this one, you're going to give two loaves of leavened bread. Because we're not sinless people. And as God sent the Holy Spirit to start the church on the day of Pentecost, he said, listen, I am going to bring you a bunch of sinners, because we all are. I'm going to bring you together as one body. And so as they're there to, to worship together, God says, listen, listen, I want to fulfill in you my promise that you will be one. Because if you remember back in the book of John, he talks about that over and over again. You will be one. You will be united. They will know you by your love. I in the father. I'm in the father. The father's in me. The father and I are in you. And the Holy Spirit will be in you. He will baptize you. And when we see this event occur, when the Holy Spirit is sent down, I want you to understand something. A lot of people say, oh, well, you got to go find this other gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No! When God came, it was a singular event. He came all at once and he said, I am going to start the church. I am going to build the church in you. And he, he, as he presents it, he presents it in two ways. He, He lets you know that it's coming in two ways. First of all, it's a noise of a mighty rushing wind. It was not... A violent rushing wind. What happens when the wind blows really hard? Right, the trees bang together, and 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 if you live out at my house, a tree falls down, and you got to cut it up. Yeah, it's violent. How many of you remember? Now I know we got some young people in here. You won't remember the Columbus Day storm. All right, we got a few of you here. You young folks, just hold on with you know. You'll have to vicariously experience this. I was five years old. And I can remember standing out in the front yard and leaning as hard as I could into the wind until a gust would come and knock me over. <clears throat> and it was so loud, you had to yell to be heard. And I remember my dad finally comes out on the porch and says, you kids get in here! We're like, going, huh, we can't hear you. Yeah. But when God sent it, he didn't send a violent rushing wind. Why? Well, it knocks people around. It damages things. He only wanted the noise. The noise of a mighty rushing wind because it does a couple things. One is when you hear the noise of the wind, if you've ever been in a tornado warning, and you hear the tornado coming, right? I kind of liken it to when I go whitewater rafting, if you start hearing the noise, you better pull over and see what's downstream. We have one rapid on the on the Deschutes River. It's called Whitehorse. It's the longest uh, rapid of its kind. It's a class four. It's big, and it's gnarly. And when you hear you can't see it because it's around a corner, but you can hear it a long ways off, and you better be pulling over to go see what you're gonna go through. Because if you just happen around that corner, you're in big trouble. But it was a noise of a mighty rushing wind. Now, there's another piece to this noise. It's sound, isn't it? Now, if the wind is blowing, Sometimes we do, we do things like we'll turn our back to it, or we'll, we'll like I wear, everybody knows I wear a cowboy hat. I'll p- p- pace my cowboy hat down and put my head down, and I can block a little bit of the wind. But you can't block sound, can you? I mean, right now, every one of you are immersed in sound. Sound is all around you. I mean, you could, if you fell down on the floor right now, you could still hear me. I'd probably go, oh, goodness, pick Judy up. <laughs> uh, you could hear me on the floor. If you sat all the way in the back, you can hear me. Or you can hear me all the way up front. No matter where you're at, you can hear me. The sound immersed every one of them. Remember, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit nobody in that upper room that day was left out it was around all of them second thing second thing that they had it was visual it said there were tongues of fire that rested on how many of them each each of them it rested on every one of them. They all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every one of them, that visual piece fell on them. We're going to see why in just a minute. But they, it was all inclusive. Nobody was left out. Don't let anybody try to tell you that you have to do something else to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes on you. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit does several things the moment that you trust Jesus as Savior. The first thing he does is the Holy Spirit regenerates you. What's regeneration? It's making something new. The Holy Spirit regenerates you. In Titus 3, 4 through 6, it says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, now watch this, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior. He says the Holy Spirit is the one that does the regeneration and the renewing. When you get saved, you should be changing. Sometimes God just says, hey, you're done. You're done with with these bad habits. You're done with with, with what's happening in your life. And we have people in this church that can give testimony to that. I've told you about my best friend Tom in a parking lot or in in a parking garage in Pennsylvania with with a needle of heroin hanging out his arm. And he said, God, either kill me or save me. But I can't do this anymore. And he pulled that needle out of his arm and God says, you're done. And he went home. And he flushed all his drugs down the toilet. And he did not have one moment of withdrawal. That's regeneration, folks. And it doesn't happen that with everybody, just like that. But God will change you, the Holy Spirit. He's gonna remind you you know what? You don't need that anymore. You see, all those old things that were going on in your life were just a way to try to fill the God-sized hole that was missing. And the Holy Spirit says, God is here. He's going to replace all that. He will renew you. The second thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit seals you. And we've talked about this before because he promises it in the, book of, in the Gospel of John. But, but we, where we see him say, I, I have you in the palm of my hand and my father has you in the palm of his hand and then the Holy Spirit seals you over. Nobody can get to you. The Holy Spirit seals you. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, he says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He sealed us. Now what is this pledge? It's a down payment, it's the earnest money. Now now if you've ever bought a home, you know that when you make an offer, what do you do? You put some earnest money down. And that earnest money quite often is what we call a promissory note. I I want this, And here's my down payment. Well, the Holy Spirit, it puts a down payment for us. Because what? We now have a home where? We have a home in heaven. Now, can we go look at it yet? Not yet. Because God's still preparing that place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. And if I go to prepare a place, I will do what? I will come and get you and bring you so that where I am, there you will be also. The Holy Spirit says, I put the down payment on your house. In 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, he says, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Holy Spirit as a pledge. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. But it also has another part to this. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were past tense. When, as soon as you believed, the Holy Spirit, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, the inheritance, you get it when? In the future, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now this pledge, this promise has a little bit different look at it. This is talking about the engagement. The engagement promise. So so you guys, you get down on one knee and you say, Oh, love of my life. When I, when I married Eileen, she's not here to defend herself. So I, I took her to Lake Coeur d'Alene. You know what, what does Coeur mean? The love of Eileen. Loosely translated. I took her to Coeur I got down on one knee and I said, I said, Eileen Francis Ryan, will you be, yeah, don't repeat her middle name. Will you be my wife? And I took out that engagement ring and I slipped her on her finger and she said, yes. The moment you got saved, Jesus Christ slipped the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit on your finger. And he says, you're now my wife going to be my wife one day you're you become part of the body of christ and one day jesus is going to come and that redemption that he promised with view of the redemption of god's own possession to the praise of his glory one day god is going to call us up and he's going to say the bride of christ i want you to come up and you're going to come up to heaven And there's going to be a table, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be spread out. And every believer that has believed in Jesus Christ from the time that that God created the church until the time he called, it's going to be sitting there. You're the bride of Christ. you got the, the, the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you this, you can't break up with God, and God will not break up with you. The marriage is promised. Now, does that mean we're always always doing everything that the Holy Spirit wants us to do? I'll give you one bit of warning. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, does he say he's going to get rid of you? Does he say he's going to take the ring off? He's going to take back the down payment? No. He says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That means you can do something. You can be so caught up in sin that the Holy Spirit says, Listen, this is going to hurt me a whole lot more than it's going to hurt you. You ever hear that? My daddy used to say that to me just before the whipping was about to commence. Because God says, But God says, those whom I love, I will chastise. You see, we can get off in sin and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, don't do this. And that Holy Spirit continues to come back to us and continues to come back to us and warn us. And just like the prodigal son, one day we come to our senses and said, I need to go back to my father's house. But, but God says, listen, I won't let you go. You're not, you're not going to get off the hook that easy because I put my ring on your finger. I put the down payment. I've sealed you. And that's what happened on that day When the when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came down. He started the church. And since then, every time... A believer has come to Jesus Christ. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's regenerated. He's renewed. He's sealed. And he's placed in the body of Christ. And today we have, and and that's not just the people who sit here in this church. That's people that are over here at City Church and Neighborhood Church and Hope Church. That's the folks down at Jesus Pursuit. They're the folks from all over in the body of Christ. We're all together. We've been placed in there. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's see what happens when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on these folks. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, down to 13. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with the tongue with other tongues. And as the Spirit was giving them utterance... And now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under God. And when the, sound, when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans? And now how is it that we each hear them in our own language with which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Perga and Pamphylia. Egypt and the districts of Libya and around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs... We hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. Be drunk with the spirit, right? We'll get to that verse in just a minute. I want you to look at a couple things about this. The first thing I want you to see is they were speaking in gentile languages. This is not somebody getting up and go, I'm in the Holy Spirit, ya la 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 ya bidadu. That's not what it was. A matter of fact, they said specifically named 16 different nations that heard what they were saying and they're all gentile nations. They go as far east as Rome. They go into, into Africa. They go all up through Asia Minor. The known world as they knew it at that time heard what they were saying. They were speaking in a language. And it was a Gentile language. Now why is that important? Well, who were these people? It said they were Jews... And they were proselytes, people who had converted to Judaism. And they came from all over the world, and they came for the the festivals, right? They came for for Passover, and they stayed to Pentecost. And what happened when they came? They went to the temple, and they heard the scriptures. Well, what what language did they hear the scriptures in? What was it written in? Hebrew. Hebrew. So a lot of them, if they didn't take the time to study Hebrew, would go to the temple and they'd hear somebody stand up and speak in Hebrew. They couldn't understand. If they were lucky, they knew Aramaic, which was kind of the trade language. And some of the teachers would teach in Aramaic. Sometimes Jesus would speak in Aramaic. But nobody ever spoke the scriptures in their own words. And here it comes on the day of Pentecost. God gives them the opportunity to hear what? They heard the mighty deeds of God. Now what were the mighty deeds of God? It's the Old Testament. These guys were, these, and women too, were, were speaking in a language that they understood and maybe they were speaking from prophecy from Isaiah or maybe they were speaking one of the Psalms and, and it says that the, the Holy Spirit came down and at what? It, little tongues of fire were on each one of them. So, so I want you to imagine now people had come from all over all over to, to where they heard the noise. And then all of a sudden they see these people with these little, this little light, right? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? This tongue of fire that's over the top of them. Now how many of you have been to a popular tourist destination where people talk all kinds of languages, right? You hear German, you hear French, maybe Italian, Spanish, And then all of a sudden you go, I hear somebody speaking English. You're like, where are they at? Where are they at? They speak English. I got I haven't heard English in in weeks. In maybe months. When I was visiting in Africa, there was a gentleman that was way, way back in in the edges of Uganda, and and he, he his name was Rich American. That's what they called him. His name was Rich. And he was American. And he lived there. He would go home a couple times a year just to make sure everything was okay at home. And then he would come back. And whenever somebody would come in, we came in to do a training. And Rich found us. He's like, oh, man, I haven't talked English with somebody who really knows what it sounds like. You guys are, you just, oh, that sounds so good. And that's what these people were doing. 120 people were spread out and they were proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. And the people were surrounding them going, oh, wow, I hear it. I'm from from Perga. He's speaking my language. He's speaking my dialect. And they were all gathering around and they were speaking mighty words of God. You know, that kind of happens when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit tells you what to speak. You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Ephesians 5, 18. Do not be drunk with wine. Oh, wasn't that what they were accused of? They're drunk. He says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be what? Filled with the Spirit. These people, it says they were filled with the Spirit. And what did they do? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And that's what these people were doing. They were speaking the mighty words of God. They were probably saying, Yeshua, Jesus, died on the cross for your sins. And I saw him rise again from the dead. I've seen him, and he's now in heaven. And they're singing a new song Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, God with goodwill towards man. They're up in heaven singing. And all of these people are like going, What is going on? But I want you to understand something. This wasn't for them, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this filling in which they spoke with tongues was not for believers. They were speaking to unbelievers. You see, all of these Jewish believers did not believe, or the Jewish people that were there, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. If they did, they would have been with the hundred and twenty. Now, a lot of them probably were there from the time of Passover. They knew that Jesus had died. The crucifixion was not not a secret. It was very well known. And the rumors of the resurrection were probably running rampant all through Jerusalem. I saw Jesus over here. No, I saw him over here. I saw him at Emmaus. I saw him up by Galilee. Forty days, he was seen by people. And, but what do, we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? 1 Corinthians 14 talks about tongues. And, and a matter of fact, there are several chapters in First Corinthians that talk about tongues, and listen to what it says in chapter 14. And in the law it is written, by men of strange tongues, and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign. Not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. You see, the whole purpose of tongues being given on this day was for the gospel to be spread. Now I want you to look at how they responded to this. Verse 12. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. They are full of sweet wine. You know, we all have to make a choice. You see, part of them were seekers. Part of them had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified, that people said had risen from the dead. And they, they said, What does this mean? What is this, what are these mighty works of God that they're gonna speak about? That they're speaking about here. What is I need to know? And you see, out there in the world today there are people who, when they see the Holy Spirit in you, when they see how God has changed you, how he's regenerated you, how he's renewed you, they're going to ask the question, what's going on? What does this mean? Well, Peter's going to have the opportunity in the rest of this chapter to answer that question. But others are going to say, that's a bunch of baloney. You ever witness to somebody and say, I don't believe in that. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Well, it takes a whole lot more faith to be an atheist than it ever will to be a believer in Jesus Christ. But God told them in verse 8, what were they supposed to do? And you will have power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Where's the first place? In Jerusalem. You see, that day they received the power of the Holy Spirit and they became witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, now folks, we, as we've talked about in the past, every one of us have the same power. I don't have any more power of the Holy Spirit in me than you have in you. Once you're saved, God puts the Holy Spirit in you. It's just how hard you push on the gas. It's just seeing where God wants you to go, who God wants you to talk to. And when that happens, you will become witnesses of Jesus Christ wherever he sends you. And we're going to watch through the book of Acts. As the people in Jerusalem, we see God begin a mighty work as he starts to build his church. And then his church is going to go out in Judea. And then it's going to go out to Samaria. And by the end of the books of Acts, it's reached all the way to Rome. And that's what God has called us to do. And this next week we're going to take the word of God from Eastside Christian Church and we're going to take it all the way to Shell, Ecuador. And we're going to share it with people in Shell, Ecuador that need to hear Jesus Christ is king of kings and he's Lord of lords. We will speak the mighty words of God while we're there. Well, you're going to have to wait a few weeks for the continuation of this series And see what Peter preaches about. One of the most powerful sermons you will ever hear. Peter is going to preach on the day of Pentecost. But today we're going to finish up with. uh, Come to a time of communion. And as we come to communion. This is one of the mighty works of God. That Jesus Christ would remind us of what he did on the cross. You see, it's the power of the cross. It's the power of Jesus Christ, the blood of God that, that caused the, the wrath of God to pass over each one of us. But not only that, he rose again so that we could have eternal life. And that's what we celebrate today. We have communion here with us in the middle, back two corners and the front two corners. If you will be kind enough to reach into the pew in front of you and use the hand sanitizer so we do this as safely as possible. The cup is the cup and the, the bread are stacked with the bread in the bottom cup and the juice in the top. Just take that with you. There's gluten-free options in the middle of each one. And when Jesus gave us, instituted the communion, says, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. The gospel is not cheap. The gospel comes at the, at the cost of the life of the Son of God. His body was broken for us. He said, take, eat in remembrance of me, of the sacrifice I made and then he took the cup and he said this is my blood for the forgiveness of sin take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me it's for the forgiveness of our sins if the blood had never been shed we would not have what we have today so as we take communion today I want you to think who, who is God calling you to be his witness to these folks have this, had the same Holy Spirit that you have today. The same power that was invested in each one of these people has been invested in you by God so that you can be his witness. Who does God want you to share the great story with, the mighty works of God?